welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and finds normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And we have special guests with us, Hector and Luxa. Very and unique. You guys are from another podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, we're from Fool's Guide to the Occult. Uh, it's a podcast where we talk about uh, all things occult. Uh, we've been talking about chaos magic a lot lately, and uh, but all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, for sure. And we're doing a special episode on Dion Fortu- <laughs> Fortune. Dave is all about the knowledge on this one. Did I say that right? I call her Dion Fortune. <laughs> Fortune, Fortune, Fortune. Fortuna. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much about her because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to learn. So, Dave. Yes. Take it away. Okay. In what has became to be known as the Magical Battle of Britain, Dion Fortune and the members of her magical order, the Fraternity of the Inner Light, worked with angels and other supernatural forces on the inner planes to embolden the psyches of the British people during the German Blitz in World War II. Simultaneously, they dispelled the dark cloud that had fallen over German national consciousness personified by Adolf Hitler. Hitler, They did this by invoking the mythological powers of King Arthur, Merlin, Mary, and Master Jesus. (laughs) We got Master Jesus and his... his, uh... I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids (laughs) and your Master Jesus. (laughs) Roro Raggy. (laughs) <laughs> Graciously joining us to help present and dig into all of this is Hector and Luxa of the podcast Fool's Guide to the Occult. Hey everyone, we're really happy to be here and to dig into this topic. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to Dave for inviting us on and for interviewing with us a while back. Yeah, absolutely. We are stoked to be here talking about this very interesting and influential lady. Dion Fortune and the members of her order employed a meditation technique that is comparable to neo-pagan pathworking. As we dig into these theories, concepts, and techniques, we will also compare and contrast them. Ultimately, Dion Fortune raised a chorus of like-minded thinkers to raise their consciousness to a higher level in the astral planes, to cry out for peace and harmony of everyone. So let's dig in. And by the end of this episode, we can all walk away with knowledge, empowerment, and practices that we can all use to defend ourselves from the enemies of freedom and peace. Yeah! Battle cry! Let's do it. You got me pumped up, Dave. I'd run through a wall for you right now. Let's do this! (laughs) Let's start with who Dion Fortune was with a brief biography. Born in Wales on the 6th of December, 1890, as Violet Mary Firth. As a child, she possessed a lot of psychic ability and published two books of poetry. By the age of 13, she had full psychic mediumship power. When her family moved to London, she began exploring the occult. She took a class on meditation and thought forms offered by the Theosophical Society. She studied psychology at university particularly the works of Carl Jung. Fortune became the highest paid and most sought-after therapist in London during the time of the First World War by applying the meditative techniques she had learned to her patients. She taught them to relax and calm their minds. With this technique of meditation, 
and also how to send themselves positive thought forms. So a thought form in the occult is uh, a concept that encompasses kind of a wide variety of concepts. Uh, from a chaos magic perspective, we create thought forms we call servitors, which can range from, uh, you know, helping you edit your podcast, uh, a little nod to a, a, a thought form we created a while back called Gab Bag, um, but also, yeah, um, you know, they can operate as a protector, a guide, a powerhouse. Um, the idea seems to have kind of origin, uh, arrived in Western occultism from investigations into uh, Eastern mysticism, particularly that of Tibet, uh, which there's a, a concept within Tibetan uh I guess, mythology or um, occultism called a tulpa. Um, but realistically, a thought form doesn't have to be an entity that operates autonomously like a servitor. It could be uh, anything you manifest via your own will in the astral space, such as like an astral temple or a magic weapon or a ward. Um, beyond all this, there's a concept called an egregore, which is often described as like a group mind. Um, I've recently been watching... American gods and it's starting to, to like get me very interested in the idea of creating a deity or an egregore. Um, but you know, I won't fill up all your show rambling on about that. I'll go off and do an episode on that on my own. <laughs> American gods is such a good show and a yeah. good book. Yeah. Great. Book. Oh, it's great. It's hard yeah, to follow really as a is. book though. I was trying to listen to it as an audio book and it jumps around so much. I would lose attention for like one minute and then be completely lost. So I actually had to buy a hard copy and just read it. Yeah, Neil Gaiman's my homeboy. <laughs> now, fun right. fact, the angels described in the Book of Enoch are known as egregores. Uh, more specifically, the Greek word egregore means the watchers. Eliphas Levi wrote all about these in La Grande Arcane. Yeah, that is a fun fact. Um so yeah, I mean, and kind of thinking about like the idea of like thought forms and stuff, like think about like the swastika, right? Like the Nazis basically put that thing on everything. They did steal it, by the way. <laughs> just just gotta throw that out there. Um, but Nazis stealing something? That... No well, way. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so and like I don't think you could have bought like a freaking tube of toothpaste or whatever in Nazi Germany without it like having a swastika on it. Um, and I've heard this talked about a lot, like like the prevalence of this symbol was like kind of ubiquitous in everyday life and this kind of acted as like a sort of sigil which created like this really powerful like egregore surrounding like the nazi party and their whole thing um this like kind of group mind of the nazis was one of the things that Dion fortune was like targeting as she coordinated her assault you know her occult countermeasures talk about branding wow <laughs> <laughs> In 1918, Dion Fortune officially joined the Theosophical Society. She went through a breakdown and had extreme anxiety from what she thought was occultic attacks from a principal for a school she worked for. She was apparently a really mean person who told her constantly she had no confidence. Ah, sounds like every principal I know. Yeah, I mean, like telling somebody that is shy that they don't have any confidence, that, that seems helpful, right? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if they were, like, trying to boost her confidence or at least fuel her fire. I mean, it's definitely not a productive way to go about it, but I can see that being, like, the point back, like, from their perspective, like, back in the day. Certainly it's not a good idea, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> did, 
jerk move. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, this definitely fueled her fire to uh, join the Order of the Golden Dawn. Now, by this point in time, the Order of the Golden Dawn had fractured, and she chose the side of Moina Mathers, Alpha et Omega Branch. Mathers. Yeah, this is the wife of um, Samuel McGregor Mathers. 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 Uh, Not Marshall Mathers. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going that way, man. <laughs> Jesus. But the reason she chose this one is because she felt it was more orthodox. Uh, she had a particular focus on psychic self-defense, and this is when she chose the magical name Dion Fortune, which means God before fortune. Yeah, I think it was also kind of a nod to her family, whose uh, like family <laughs> motto was uh, Dio non fortuna, which I guess kind of means the same thing, like, you know, God not fortune. Yeah, I believe you're right there. I know that Dion Fortune was part of kind of the upper class, kind of almost, I wouldn't say a minor nobility, but but high enough that they would have like a family crest and a motto and things like that. Yeah, from what I understand, she was certainly privileged. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Her mentor in the order was Theodore Moriarty. And after his funeral in 1923 she asked his students to join her new order. From 1922 to 1927, she was involved in leadership roles in at least five different occult groups. Uh, She recruited from these as well to establish the Fraternity of the Inner Light of Glastonbury. Later in her life, this became the Society of Inner Light, which she ran until she died of leukemia in January of 1946 at the young age of 55. Posthumously, she wrote two books, The Cosmic Doctrine and the novel Moon Magic by channeling through an assistant using automatic writing techniques. That's a long-ass name. It's two so different books. I know. Clear, like, she was dead, but somebody was using automatic writing to like channel her thoughts into books? Yes. Okay. Or so the legend goes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how Blavatsky wrote her books. She channeled her uh, master's. Yeah, through a through a uh, a process called um, the tolka. Yeah, and then yeah, Crowley did the like same Kuhumi thing. And all. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, Kuhumi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So automatic writing is uh, usually done by sitting down with like a pen and paper. Although I don't really see why you couldn't use a keyboard if that's more like natural to your way of writing. Um, and then you kind of enter a sort of like trance or meditative state um, and just start writing without thinking or questioning. Um, I think a good example of this that uh, you could look at is the um, iconic book Naked Lunch uh, by the Beat Generation author and chaos magician William S. Burroughs. Um, and he described this book as automatic writing gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Burroughs was a member of the uh, the IOT, yeah? Yeah, he was. I believe he may have been. Yep. Yeah. Uh, automatic drawing is also a thing, actually, if you get into uh, some of the controlled remote viewing stuff that, like, Ingo Swan was teaching and working with the CIA, like, uh, MK Ultra and stuff like that. Um, and auto- automatic writing is part of that, too. Um, the, the older method of doing these things tends to be to, like, emphasize channeling or, like, becoming a host to an entity that conveys information through you, like you guys kind of stated already, but... Um, it doesn't have to be done like specifically that way. You can just kind of allow yourself to be like a vessel or a hollow bamboo through which, you know, cosmic or divine or raw unis can flow. Um, I, I wonder if this isn't the same state of being like musicians kind of tap into when they're like just jamming and riffing. 
you know like improv comedy man yeah for sure well i've done uh automatic writing when channeling spirits for medium sessions and okay cool it's yeah it's just one of those things that i'll just sit there and start drawing and then later down i'll look at the page and there'll be words or pictures or something like that that is information that i need to pass along and I've done improv comedy when I'm stoned, so that's, that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> so I did auto- automatic writing in college. <laughs> Teacher said I got an F every time. <laughs> now that, that hollow bamboo, that vessel, uh, druids, yeah. druids call this Aowen, the spirit energy or inspiration that flows through anything with an essence. Uh, when we are open to the energies around us, we can receive this divine gift of the inspiration that flows. And this can come from entities, nature, the subconscious, knowledge, art, divinity, or anything we focus on. Awen can be invoked from a source outside of the self, i.e. all the various planes of existence. And Awen can also be invoked through study, channeling, or contemplation from within ourselves. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I... Stole that hollow bamboo phrase from uh, Ramdas, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, a Zen thing. Oh yeah, that, yeah. I mean, they probably yeah. have a version of it. I mean, we're all musicians yeah. oh, around definitely. this table, so we we definitely know what that's like to just kind of get into the zone and yeah, and just it, whatever flows out flows out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The inspiration that flows. <laughs> totally. The base of operations for the Fraternity of the Inner Light was Glastonbury Tor in Somerset, which is thought to be the Isle of Avalon from the Arthurian legends. And according to legend, this is where King Arthur received Excalibur, rising from the waters in a clenched hand. This is also where the Lady of the Lake brought Arthur when he was critically wounded in his battle with Mordred. There are other stories which speak of Arthur and Guinevere's coffins being unearthed here. The Isle of Avalon is also a possible location of the Holy Grail. Other than its connection to Arthurian legend, Fortune's other reason for choosing Glastonbury Tor was the elemental significance of the place. She was particularly interested in working with the elemental energy around Glastonbury connecting to the ley lines. Yeah, uh, lit. Ley lines or uh, dragon lines, as they're called in uh, Chinese uh, mysticism, are lines that sort of make up this perceived energy grid that wraps around the earth like a net. Um, one could think of them sort of like planetary equivalents of uh, the meridian lines that run along the body used for acupuncture. This isn't a thing I have a whole lot of experience with personally, but according to the people that are really into it, um, there's several, actually very many, uh, ancient megalithic structures that kind of are along these lines, um, as well as places of modern political and religious significance too. So that's pretty interesting in and of itself, I think. Yeah, and we, we're actually planning on doing an episode on ley lines eventually, because um, yeah, there's one line that has like the pyramids and um, Easter Island and Stonehenge and all of that are right along the same ley line. Oh yeah, there's like six. It's yeah. called it's called the Great Circle if yeah. you ever want to investigate into it. Um, as far as Britain goes, and especially Southern Britain, there's um, there's something called the St. Michael's Line, which is 15 or maybe 16 sites that are that are just like how you describe. They're religious and they're megalithic, and 
So that's something else you can look into, listeners, if you're interested in digging into this before either of us get into it. <laughs> and something else <laughs> along the King Arthur line. You're talking about the King Arthur legends. There is a book that takes King Arthur and puts him in modern-day New York by Peter David. It's called, I think, Nightlife with a K. Yeah. It is the most amazing book. And, like, the Lady of the Lake comes out of, like, the Central Park Lake covered in, like, boots and dirt and grime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Luxa and I were just talking about this the other day. I was saying, we were doing an episode on Merlin, and I was saying, you know how they always do those, like, modern adaptions of Shakespeare? I really want to see a modern Arthurian legend. And There's, like, three books in this series. There's, like, Nightlife, uh, One Night... And like one night stand, I think like, and it's all like they bring Arthur, Arthur and Merlin survive like with magic. And so Arthur is placed in like downtown, like New York city. He's walking around with his sword and Merlin's been aging backwards. So Merlin's like a, like eight year old kid walking around with Arthur and someone better call the police. (laughs) And like, he runs into like, uh, Guinevere and you know was Lancelot and like, but there are other people. Like, hey, I'm walking over here. Yeah, exactly. That's how they t- like. They're like they are like rebirthed into this this new century. Oh, cabs here. But like <laughs> Arthur recognizes them, and it's it's a great book. So sounds right on. Yeah, Did you guys see that uh, cartoon King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, where it was like a football team that got brought back to Camelot to fight evil. Oh, no, I have not, but now I want to. I love the Arthurian legend. I, I think of like kids, the kid in King Arthur's yeah, court. Yeah, that, that one's a good yeah. one. I, I love the uh, Arthur legend, Arthurian legend, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Check out those books. Classic, yeah, that, yeah, those the <laughs> Definitely, definitely good books here. So that just popped into my head when you were talking about the Lady of the Lake because every time I picture the Lady of the Lake now, I hey, picture Netflix the Lady is, of the Lake from the book. While we're on it, Netflix is doing a series that I guess it's Arthurian legend, but it's how the girl be, or how this girl becomes the Lady of the Lake, and it's a story like that. Oh. It's oh. actually got the girl from Thirteen Reasons Why in the the first season, um, who plays the l- little girl in it. It actually looks pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. All right, we can get back to the important stuff. Dion Dion Fortune considered herself a part of the unholy trinity of liberal occultists. Liberal occultists meaning they were telling secrets that the esoteric occultist wanted to remain hidden, to be used exclusively for the elite and initiated. The other sides of this trinity were Israel Rigardi, who was publishing the Golden Dawn secret documents as early as 1938. And Mr. Crowley. Chatter and I were all ready for that, and Dave stole stole our thunder. I'm sitting here clearing my throat, (laughs) getting it all ready. This guy did 15 minutes of vocal warm-ups just for that part. (laughs) What an asshole. All right, all right, y'all solo it. (laughs) No, no, the thunder stole. The thunder rolls. And the thunder rolls. And the lightning strikes. Fortune published most of the secrets in her book, The Mystical Kabbalah, and in the Inner Light publications of her Society of the Inner Light. Her goal was to teach non-initiates and non-occultists her techniques for psychical defense, 
most of which are detailed in her 1930 book, Psychic Self-Defense. So the mystical Kabbalah is definitely considered to be a pretty iconic book. Uh, the criticisms that I've heard about it is that she concentrates too much on the spheres or the sephiroth in the Tree of Life and that she doesn't really go into like the paths that connect them. But I have heard some people say that this is actually because she like felt that she was already revealing too much with this book and that, you know, to talk about the past would be too dangerous for the public to know about, you know. Meanwhile, we're developing nuclear power and Crowley's doing heroin. <laughs> Mr. Crowley! <laughs> boom, 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 boom! Now, Fortunes corresponded with Crowley regularly and even shipped him her books. I think she even sent him some money. I mean, everybody who knew Crowley did. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> who didn't send Crowley money? Now, but according to her publishing, she had theories of sexual polarity and an interest in Tantra. From correspondences between the two, they even spoke of possibly uniting her group with Aleister Crowley's Ordo Templi Orientis group, Mysteria Mystica Maxima. Man, what an interesting time that would have been. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall at one of those parties, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's too sticky of a situation for me. If my shoes come off when I walk on the floor, it's it's over. No, I'm you, sorry. No, you leave your shoes on in Crowley's house. No, 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 you would leave them on, but it'd be so sticky that your shoe would come off. <laughs> be like that staircase in the basement of Home Alone with a car on it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no amount oh, of bleach that would clean that shit. That wasn't a nail. <laughs> Unfortunately, Dion Fortune's papers, letters, pictures, and notes were all burned up by her order ten years after her death. She was continuing to lead the order from a place called the Inner Plains, and the remaining members did this in an effort so a cult wouldn't form around her. But the material she published is unscathed. Her original definition of magic is... Magic is much simpler and less formidable thing than popular imagination believes it to be, and is a technique for the utilization and direction of the astral forces, which are the immediate cause behind the world of appearances. The mastery of these powers, i.e., those of the astral plane, is based upon self-mastery. Now, this definition is emphasized again and again in not only her nonfiction writing, but even in her fiction writing. Yeah, it's definitely like a very like Kabbalistic idea. I think that she's like sort of all about that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you see a lot of AASB in, in her work. Uh, I think now's a good time for all of us to give our personal definitions of magic. Yeah. Let's start with the non-magic practitioners over here. Chad and Eli, which one do you want to go first? I'll go first. Go. Okay. So, honestly, we're, we're going to... Take a touch back from whenever Eli was growing up, you know, little, little sprite Eli, little, little little two foot four Eli had two eyeballs, and had two, had two, two eyeballs, and two testicles at mm -hmm. this point. Um, but uh, any user, I was raised uh, in the uh, the Mormon religion, and throughout that time, we weren't allowed to really watch anything that had to do with magic or any mysticism whatsoever. Now, my first touch base with with uh, I guess what you would call. Um, Oh, well, what is it? Um, magic? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say, yeah. Like, yeah. Magic? So, <laughs> what first basically, like, you know, my first interaction with it, if you will, was, uh, or viewing of it, was uh, watching um, 
and I hate to put this, but it's pop culture, uh, Harry Potter, right? So I got to see both sides of kind of the te- technicality of like, you know, good and bad magic, harmful magic and, you know, healing magic. And then it basically just grew from there. And now, I mean, my, my understanding and how I feel about magic is it's more of a, um, a healing energy, if you will. Um, there's, there's, I, I just have never seen a negative, uh, ne- negative aspect firsthand. I've seen healing firsthand. I've read books about healing firsthand. Um, and just it, from the point of growing up to the point that I am now at 30 years old, I think that for me, magic is always going to have a positive nature in my brain. It's always going to, it's going to basically open my eye to a lot more um, beauty than uh, destruction. So uh, that is exactly how I feel about magic. Uh, I, I like oh, yeah. it. Yeah, really. Chad, what are you about you? Well, before this podcast, I would have brought up something Harry Potter or something like that. After doing this podcast and learning more about our personal energies and stuff like that, magic is to me is everyone has their own personal energy or aura around them that they can manipulate by meditating or just concentrating, whether it be for good or bad. And it's just using that energy. So when you say, you know, I'm sending someone positive energy, you're using magic to send your energy to, to that person. Um, so I think magic really is more of just your personal energy and uh, it's like with the chakra and stuff like that. So so honestly, if my energy had a color, it'd be a rainbow. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's what we're going for, kids. Well, see, for me, it is a universal energy. And that energy can be tapped into consciously and manipulated to do whatever you intend for it to do. But it's also an energy that's there that can just be picked up by any kind of life force, whether it be human, animal, plant. It's just the energy that is in the universe. And Dave, what about you? For me, magic is awakening the universal life force energy in things. Or using the awakened and charged life force in things. I call it Nuivra. Other traditions call it Prana, Chi, or the etheric body. Then working with Nuivra in accordance with the laws of nature uh, to transform the self and the not-self. I like that. Hector, what about you? Yeah, for me, um, I definitely gravitate towards uh, sort of Crowley's definition of causing change in accordance with the will. Um, but, you know, as a, as a chaos magician and somebody that kind of plays with uh, belief as a tool, uh, my definition can really change from day to day. Um, so I think I'll stick with that sort of basic uh, Crowley definition. Lexa, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I probably would agree with Hector. Um, and also what with what a lot of um you all others said like i mean the thing about you know the you know feeling the energy that surrounds us is like kind of ubiquitous thing and being able to like i don't know tap into it use it uh for whatever that's definitely in play i think i think fortune uh that's basically exactly what she was talking about right oh yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely from what i get of of her teachings um fortune believed that the first stage of magic is the knowledge of the self. Yeah. Um, 
I I couldn't agree with her more. Um, you know, we're really into that idea, and it seems uh, correct to me. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, co-host of mine, uh, that we're both really like super into the idea of like uh, magic and knowledge and uh, self growth, something that we kind of often refer to as the great work or self transformation. Uh, which deals with a bit of what we tend to call shadow work or dealing with like the darker, more hidden aspects of oneself. Yeah. Sometimes people call this like ego magic too, but yeah, for sure. Like the idea of like striving towards self mastery is something that's pretty important to both of us. I know we've talked about it a lot and to a lot of other practitioners as well. Um, But yeah, it all starts in the mind, right? In the imagination, as we've been talking about, like in order to like make something, we have to imagine it first. So I'm actually surprised how much I agree with Fortune's notion about like astral forces being the immediate cause behind the physical world or, I don't know, the world of appearances. I might eat, like choose different language than her. Like I might talk about like probability clouds becoming particles or something like that. I don't know. But like it's basically the same thing, right? Um, she's basically saying like magic is simple. All you have to do is learn to manipulate the fabric of reality with your mind. <laughs> no problem, right? <laughs> um, well, I so... think a lot of people actually do it accidentally. You know, yeah, no, like, I, I, oh, yeah. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Like it works, it works. Like say whatever you want about it. It works. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, the, the idea of shadow work was also brought up. Isn't that something that's kind of like out of Carl Jung's stuff? Yeah. Um, Sigmund Freud, the, um, oh, what was he? The, the teacher of Carl Jung, As, the mentor yeah. or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, his he absolutely central... hated the occult. Oh, oh without loved. a doubt. <laughs> yeah, I always thought a young is more like an occultist masquerading as a psychologist. <laughs> Definitely. I yeah. would 100% agree with that. Yeah, I was a psych major and I was telling Dave, I said, man, if they would have taught the occult side of young when I was doing all my studying on young psychology, it would have made it a lot more interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> But but Freud's central idea is that we repress our natural instincts and desires because of society's demands, and in turn, we're neurotic because of it. Um, some take an approach of embracing either the conscious fully, or like in Crowley's case, the subconscious fully. Um, Freud's colleague Carl Jung, on the other hand, who Fortune studied for her psychology degree, had an approach where you combined and transcend them both with what he called individuation. In Psychological Types, Volume 6, Paragraph 757, Jung writes, In general, it is the process by which individual beings are formed and differentiated. In particular, it is the development of the psychological individual as being distinctly from the general collective psychology. In Jungian psychology, the shadow is the unconscious aspect of the personality, which the conscious ego does not identify in itself. In Psychology and Religion, Jung wrote, Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, and one I personally think is really important to keep in mind. So the more you ignore the stuff you don't like about yourself or like the stuff you don't like to think about about yourself or whatever it is, like the stuff you're afraid of, the worse it's going to get. And if you don't learn to like embrace your kind of dark side or whatever, like it can become like a constant thorn in your side. So, yeah. 
Definitely. Truth. And I think we see that a lot in society, especially nowadays. Uh, or like in today's time that we're living in. I think there's a lot of people who have repressed certain emotions and now it's exploding. I, I think we're sort of like encouraged to do it too. Like, you know, like put on a good face, like, oh, make sure everybody knows what a great time you're having all the time. You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about social media here. Well, you're always <laughs> yeah, told definitely. younger, don't let people see your weaknesses. So yeah. you, as a young mm-hmm. age, learn to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So... This is why I cry like a baby. I think there's a fair <laughs> amount of projection in it too that that we take that shadow self of us and we and we push it onto our enemies and and I mean heck even nowadays just the people that disagree with our opinions. Yeah. You know, and sure. we, yeah. we turn them into these yeah. vile evil presences and Yeah. It's just I don't know. But almost every tradition I have dug into incorporates the aphorism know thyself in its own terminology. Uh, people all over the world pay therapists to help them get there, but it can be accomplished by yourself. One just has to put in the work. Yeah, but why put in the work when we can watch an endless data stream of brightly colored moving pictures synchronized with pleasing tones or delve into the labyrinthian drama of social media? <laughs> right? <laughs> Who said anything about an EDM concert? And that that kind of makes me yeah. think of what you were saying about how magic just kind of manifests in the world. Like when you're watching TV and then the it puts you in almost a trance and then those advertisements come up and you're in that trance and then it gets embedded into your, your deep subconscious brain. And then later on, you get recalled to it when you're like at the store and you're like, oh, I need to buy this name brand for some reason. I don't know why. I'm craving Wendy's all of a exactly sudden. That's exactly what yeah. I think happens. Yeah, no. Yeah, I... Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That and like all the middle schoolers in my classroom are singing all the songs from advertisements. It's like yeah. Yeah. They, they become walking advertisements. I think there's a South Park episode about that too. There Spot is. on. You know what's you know what's a fun thing to do? This is I know this is like a little bit off topic, but like watch advertisements like from an objective standpoint and like write down like what argument they're actually trying to make and usually it's like insane. It's like this fertilizer will make your wife love you again or like, like <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, and the gender stereotypes that are in commercials? Like, oh my gosh. I I don't pay attention to commercials. There's still one, though, I I talked on the last (laughs) few of our episodes that I absolutely love. It's one of those men's health, like, you know, testosterone things. But in the commercial, like, do you struggle when you snuggle? And so now every time I hear it, whoever I'm riding with, and it's like, do you struggle when you snuggle? Do you want to? It's always me that I, that's riding in the, in the passenger seat. But to go back to what you said, wouldn't it be hilarious that that like you came up with that? You know, uh, fertilizer will help your wife love you more. What if the following commercial was about ED? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a cover up for ED. It's like you know, it's like this medicine will help you, but also here's some fertilizer. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Guys, that's deep as shit, and I'm not even stoned. That's crazy. Do you struggle when you snuggle? Do you wanna? Still, I've never loved a commercial more in my life. <laughs> well, I can still recall commercials from when I was a kid. Like, the jingles from, like... Where's the beef? Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. It's It just gets ingrained into our psyche. Most and yeah, that's part of are it. after Christmas. Or the, but like, Clark's the is the just before. Kool-Aid man, like, busting... Oh, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Oh, no, Mr. Kool-Aid Man, you're going to clean that up before my mom gets home. Oh, yeah? 
Oh no. <laughs> oh no. So threatening. <laughs> Snap into a Slim Jim. Family Guy episode. <laughs> Snap into a dress shirt. <laughs> Fortune believed the second stage of magic is to contact the great cosmic forces, which are spiritual in nature and far superior to the astral plane, just as the astral plane is superior to the physical plane. Yeah, speaking of cosmic forces, I'm curious how occultists will continue to define these terms as like our knowledge of astrophysics continues to expand. At her time, the cosmos, the universe, um, was basically the, the biggest thing there was in existence. But now we have like multiple dimension theories and, you know, the, you know, the possibility of infinite dimensions or limitless variation. And uh, I, I'm curious, like, what does tapping into that look like or feel like? Uh, things I've been kind of playing with uh, recently, but just some uh, food for thought, I guess, for any experimental magicians out there uh, trying to push the boundaries of the field, I guess. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, though, I think I think once we discover more and more, we might even find that it is like us accessing those dimensions without realizing we're accessing those dimensions, especially on like a medium level. Um there are definitely times when I'm, you know, doing communications and stuff that it definitely feels like another dimension, like that I'm dealing with. Not so much like another plane of existence, but even like a whole nother dimension that I reach into for some information. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Go ahead, Bo. I was just going to say, I feel like, in, I mean, there's a chance to me that it, it would actually help enlighten more in toward towards the kind of like what Amy was yeah. saying now instead of it just being an astral plane that we're traveling on when we, uh, we do stuff maybe it is we're actually just changing dimensions and as we learn more about that and science it'll help you know uh, solidify others thinkings and yeah, beliefs help, and help with a lot of the, the skeptics if they have like scientific proof that that's what it is then it might help the field yeah. of yeah all of the occult and paranormal and everything. All I was going to say is that there's multiple multiple floors to this plane. You know, multiple floors. That's all mm-hmm. I was going to say. Sure. Now, yeah. Now, in Hermeticism, there are five planes of existence defined, uh, which superimpose over each other, and I suppose could be thought of like alternate dimensions. They are the physical and the ethereal plane, the astral plane, the mental plane, the spiritual plane, and the divine plane. In different traditions, there's different planes. Uh, in most of them, it's that special number seven. In Buddhism, there's like 31 of them. Uh, That's got to be a busy plane station. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get the dictionary in the mail. Don't worry, guys. Okay. The the common theme amongst the traditions is that they emanate from the highest to the lowest, particularly in regards to creation. Uh, there's also a common theme of being active in all of them because uh, effects on the higher planes have effects on the physical and ethereal plane. Uh, Fortune knew all about this because she continually defined magic as the means of causing change by changing consciousness. She interweaved her nonfiction and her fiction and told readers the fiction was intended to seep into the consciousness and the nonfiction was intended for instruction. 
and she actually does say in the beginning of Cosmic Doctrine that the work is not necessarily meant to teach per se, but that reading it will kind of prepare your mind for doing magic. Yeah, the joining of the material would cause the reader to learn magic for themselves. Unlike most other occultist or ceremonial magicians of old, her books are still in print as of 2020. Yeah. Uh, her definition of, of magic is, is really interesting. Uh, I think I still prefer the, the Crowley, you know, causing change in accordance with one's will um, definition. But I feel like, at least from my own experience, the manipulation of, like, states of consciousness is pretty pivotal to uh, the execution of effective magic. The ability to sort of, like, change one's beliefs or thoughts at will as well as sort of dropping into that state that we refer to in chaos magic as gnosis or, you know, trance by another name. Um, from which we kind of do a lot of our work. Yeah, too. And like this distinction between consciousness and will is something that might be worth investigating further at some point. Like, is there a difference? Is one like the vehicle for another? I don't know. Yes, and yes. Um, I would posit that consciousness is the, the thing we call self. Um, it's awareness. Will, on the other hand, is like the desire to make something happen. Um, so you can see it as like drive maybe or the the fire that sort of keeps you going yeah but they're so closely linked together right like from a biological standpoint like okay so every organism has like the will to continue living in a generic sense right like this includes like reproduction it's for this reason i believe that many magical societies or schools or whatever like they have like sex magic as part of their like higher orders I guess kind of makes sense, like, logically, if you consider, like, I mean, whatever, sexual energy to be, like, the purest form of will. I don't, uh, <laughs> I know, this is just kind of, like, a fun side note, because I know that y'all did talk about Crowley for, like, five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Eopan? Eopan. Eopan. Eopan? <laughs> gotta get your rose and road ready, or rude ready. Your rude yep. and your rose. Rude yep. and rose. Yep, rose and roots <laughs> and Eopan. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I could turn that into a like a, a pickup Matters. line, but it's just so inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I would not use any of Crowley's poems as hey, love. I, I, I saw love your. I'll show you my rude if you show me your rose. Go- <laughs> yeah, maybe y'all are just chasing after the wrong kind of people. <laughs> I mean, that'd be. You might find the right type if you bring up that. I mean, honestly, line. honestly, we have to chase in order to actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually just sitting at home, you know, sipping on tea and watching, I don't know, The Order or something like that. So <laughs> I've developed an, uh, an old man, one-eyed life. It's pretty great. <laughs> now, now, Fortune, she definitely embraced sex magic, so I, I oh, think yeah, you're, you're really on to something there, yeah. Luxa. I see nature and will is very much aligned. Nature, like in the phrase, you know, that's its nature. Uh, when we develop the ability to cut away the things that no longer serve us, it drops excessive quote-unquote baggage, but it can lead to fanaticism. Uh, in the physical world, for example, this manifests as someone smoking a pack a day, then after they quit, becoming a fanatic, speaking out against it and trying to get everyone they know to join them. Well, do they usually have a hole in their throat? <laughs> <laughs> I used to smoke a pack a day. <clears throat> Well, I noticed this. What a great, what a great line drop! <laughs> I'm, I'm putting you in for the the best line drop of the the whole show so far. We'll, we'll put more in, but you're number one right now. Well, I definitely experienced this when I 
broke away from basic Christianity. And I became kind of pro-anti-Christianity for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of fanatical about it, you know? Um, Now, as I developed and learned more, I was like, well, you know, it's all really kind of the same, so it really doesn't matter what your religion is. And now I embrace it again. But yeah, it's definitely a part of, I think, breaking away from any kind of habit or uh, lifestyle. This is is what I noticed from Dave when he got out of the military. You're being forced to cut your hair, shave your face. You now, <laughs> since I've since you've married Amy, have had long hair and a long beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He hasn't shaved because you don't beard have to. Yeah. Well, when well, mom trims like, it, yeah, yeah. he gets it trimmed. But and now. also Mother's Day last year. <laughs> but but it hasn't been officially shaved. Kind of been a fanatic. Of, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it hurts. Because <laughs> I, I can't use shaving cream and stuff. I have to dry shave. And Ooh, <laughs> that hurts. Ooh. You know, I heard that if you put uh, secret on a freshly shaved area, it don't bumble. <laughs> hmm. I don't want to know where you learned this. I learned it from all the other men that shaved in the family. I was talking about what areas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I said specific areas. Maybe he has head down his chin. In places that, 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 that that's called a beard. Oh shit! <laughs> you would know if you could draw one. And this was from a stripper, so I think she might have known. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she's I've talking about. I've had multiple stripper friends, and they—that's actually the person who told me. <laughs> Luxa approved. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean Starfire approved. <laughs> Let's use their fake names. We can't really use their real ones. But but I do like the chaos magic approach of of not cutting this stuff away and forgetting it or or turning against it. Um, but just setting it to the side with the realization that it might serve purpose later. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what I did. Now, I, I got very angry about it. I was very angry at Christianity when I, when I discovered other possibilities. See, you know, Because I was very much, this is the way. Like, I didn't understand that there were other religions yeah. other Show than me the way. You know, Abrahamic religions. Yeah. And so I became very angry at first. And then it was not until, you know, I kind of became more secure, I think, in my decision to leave that I was able to embrace it all as being okay and being fine and just being a part of what made me part of what makes up people around me. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with any either religion. But I definitely, I didn't put it to the side and come back to it later. I, I threw it away, and then I had to do get it out of the trash because it didn't came back part of my life. <laughs> so my my biggest problem with it was is like I went from serving sacrament and wearing a tie every single day and doing Boy Scouts through church and everything like that to reading an actual Bible again that says something to the point of you know uh, there's only my word before my word that's it blah 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 and then you're reading a book of Mormon. You know, but it was more of a situation of like switching from that religion, being, you know, basically serving sacrament, doing baptisms for the dead and everything like that to being preached at. And then from that point, I was like, well, you know, there's just something that doesn't line up here Mm -hmm. at all. And I've I've never hated or anything like that on on any religion. I think that it is your choice to do whatever the hell you want to, whatever brings you peace in life, period. Um, But whenever I finally, you know, kind of branched off and kind of I mean, and literally like Chad. I mean, to a certain point, this podcast has opened up my eye where, it, where, where, where magic and knowledge from the two meet, you know, um, and it's, it's done a lot. 
but I mean, I'm the same way. Like it just it's a situation of like being opened up, not just through your the eye that you look at, but your whole aura being opened up to that. So. Yeah, and I'm also a strong believer that if when you're ready to find the occult, the occult finds you. Yeah, and yeah. that mm-hmm. that that's a yeah. lot of it. Like you Definitely, have to be yeah, like the things that you need have a tendency to show up in your life when you need them. Exactly. So, <laughs> sorry, Dave, we interrupted. Back to for two. No, long. no, I I <laughs> love the conversation. That's what it's all about. I like meeting new people <laughs> <laughs> and having topics to talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Calm down, Forrest. Sorry, <laughs> if I had chocolates, sort of like I'd share. Sort of like getting back to what Dave was saying, like about chaos magic. I mean, yeah, it's like a very pragmatic way of doing things. Like, as you were saying, like you never really know what's going to be useful, whether it's like anger or whatever. Like, um, you know, you can use that for something productive, right? Yeah, definitely. I forget yeah, you guys can't see. I'm sitting here nodding thing. my head, like, <laughs> yep. Don't you hear Russ, the rap? You're not in the same room. Like, <laughs> Once regular meetings of Fortune's magical order began to be threatened by imminent war in 1939, Fortune and the Fraternity of the Inner Light began their magical battle. Bum, 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 dun, bum. Dun. She began by distributing her weekly letters to everyone within the fraternity all over Britain, rather than just the senior initiates. In these letters, she detailed work concerning the creation development, and maintenance of a magical defense of the British Isle with thought forms, as well as advising her adepts to conduct practices based on techniques of the Golden Dawn to form part of the nucleus of her psychic army. This mailing list would grow to include other freethinkers not initiated within her fraternity. I could just picture that nowadays. It'd just be one of those flyers stapled up to the telephone pole. <laughs> Walk up, grab it. Huh. According to Dion Fortune's philosophy, all nations or races have a group mind and a group soul. The group soul can be thought of as the equivalent to a subconscious, feeding the conscious group mind. The group mind is easily led by propaganda and manipulation, while the group soul is more substantial. My takeaway is that the group mind is led by a mob mentality, but the group soul is guided more by common sense, which often gets overpowered by group think. (laughs) Which is the exact reason she placed great value on the knowledge of self, coupled with her philosophy that cause is made on the astral plane for effect to be manifested on the physical plane. Her goal for the magical battle of Britain was to get everyone to come together in harmony and to focus not only on peace, but protection of her beloved Tor, of her beloved Glastonbury, and her beloved country. Yeah, she definitely did have some pretty, like, nationalistic ideas, just saying. Like, But, I mean, I guess considering the context of when she lived and what was going on, it kind of makes sense, so... Now, she kind of reminds me of um, the mindset of Marianne Williams, Williamson, the, the chick who was running for president. Um, gosh, I think Williams is her last name. I think but, she was an cultist. Yeah, she very much pra- wanted to like sp- 
uh, Marianne Williamson. Yeah, I think is what her name was. But she was very much, we need to share love. We need to share, you know, we we need to be kind to one another in order to make America great. And, you know, oh, yeah. like that was, I was very much a fan of her because she was very much more on the occult side of the spectrum and... I think that would make the best president and get an occultist up in there. And <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it depends on what kind of occultist I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want Crowley running the country, but, you know. I mean, it seems like we already have fucking... <laughs> I, say, I very much have lots of resemblances between Trump and Crowley. That was for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Voldemort, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need a hippie occultist. There we go. A peace love and hippie occultist as president. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somebody who equally believes in harmony and yeah. justice and I'm loving this fantasy that we're all having right now. Yeah. Can we just <laughs> what a world that would be? So can we just create this world? So we... <laughs> it's the Splinter Universe where Amagor became president. <laughs> All lives are equal, and we don't even need police, so we don't have to worry about funding them. And yeah, it sounds like a great world. Let's move there. Yeah. <laughs> the first gathering towards this work was on October 1st of 1939 at 3 Queensboro Terrace in London. At this sanctuary, they began a magical working with the intent of inoculating the British quote unquote group mind against the influence of demoralizing forces. Ooh. Now get this. After this meeting, they hear the sentiments they were expressing in their group meeting repeated by the Archbishop of York during a radio address given by him as part of a National Day of Prayer. Synchronicity? That shit happens to me all the time. I swear to God. (laughs) I don't know how many times I'm sitting there talking to somebody and then all of a sudden the news pops up with exactly what we're talking about and it's like, what? I mean, yeah, right. my Facebook does that, but I know that, you know, Facebook listens to they're you. listening to me, but <laughs> man, when the news does it, I get a little bit paranoid. <laughs> you know how I know I mumble? He's listening to. <laughs> you know how I know I mumble? Wish always puts stuff on my, my uh, little feed that makes no sense at all. <laughs> That's just wish. <laughs> I was like, Louisiana accent? All right, man, let's do it. <laughs> Wish obviously thinks I'm a female. Mike. So. I mean, you look good in business. <laughs> so, in other words, the conscious thoughts of the Archbishop were th- believed to be influenced by the magicians influencing the subconscious of the British people on the astral plane, which I think shouldn't be considered a manipulation any more than raising awareness would be considered a manipulation. They also succeeded in instilling strength in the psyche of the British people in a white light work intended for good. Yeah, I mean, there's also this kind of notion of the collective unconscious, right? Which I know is like another like Jungian kind of thing. Uh, maybe you could say also that the Archbishop and the members of Fortune's group might have just both been like kind of tapping into the same thing, you know, if you accept the idea of the collective unconscious. That would seem plausible yes different different methods and routes to the same kind of general thing yeah i mean i don't know just floating around in the air i'm not sure (laughs) yeah sure 
Yeah, very much so. In in some traditions, uh, this is in the planes of existence. Uh, the particular plane it's on varies by tradition, but it's often described as a pool. Uh, traditions that include reincarnation usually attribute memory loss of past lives with bathing, being anointed, passing through, or drinking from the waters of this pool uh, before the rebirth of the spirit. It's, it's thought that our unconscious only understands in symbols and iconography. Uh, uh, Jung wrote extensively about what he called the archetypes, which is part of the collective unconscious that exists in a pool of thought or uh, somewhere else in the inner planes. The work carried out by the Fraternity of the Inner Light at this meeting also involved focusing and intuiting the symbols necessary to unfold the group's future occult work in the inner planes. Dion Fortune tells us, There's a physical world in which we live and move and have our being. There is also the mental and spiritual worlds. While still in the flesh, we can also live and move and have our being. The way they specifically accomplished their work was by projecting into a cavern inside of the inner planes from the physical earth plane. The first symbols they found were a mini-petaled rose and a cross. A root and a rose? A root and a rose. (laughs) They also witnessed the shadows of the five masters who would assist their work from this inner plane. So think of like Blavatsky's Mahatmas or Crowley's Secret Chiefs and, you you know, on and on and on. Uh, Fortune refers to these masters as the Elder Brothers. They have been liberated from the cycle of death and rebirth. They continue their spiritual evolution while living exclusively in the inner planes. These Elder Brothers help Fortune and her fellow magicians from this cavern on the inner planes from here on specifically by joining them in the work of protecting and strengthening Britain. So, like, just to be clear, like, the idea here was that they were, like, conducting these kind of group meditations, right? And, like, approaching this, like, cavern and, like, kind of doing this uh, exercise, right? Like, this was all sort of, like, a meditative thing? Absolutely. It was It was very comparable to neo-pagan pathworking is how her meditations worked. Okay. Okay. So after Germany's defeat of France and the Low Countries in the spring of 1940, Hitler believed that Britain would ask for terms. But if not, then the country would be successfully invaded. Serious planning work for Operation Sea Lion in July 1940 following Britain's rejection of Hitler's final offer of Hitler's final offer of a negotiated peace settlement. Hitler wanted an immediate invasion to prevent the British army recovering from its defeat in France. All this was to be completed by the 10th of August, 1940. The assembly of a large invasion fleet of barges, tugs, trawlers, and merchant ships was begun at Calais and Rotterdam. In August, they launched the Luttwaffe's campaign to destroy the Royal Air Force and win control of the English Channel and the air over southern England. This would enable the German Navy to provide the invasion fleet with the maximum protection. Once reinforcements had been landed, the advance northwards was to begin, but London would have been bypassed until resistance in the rest of Britain had collapsed. So Germany itself was actively attempting to invade and conquer Great Britain during this occult working. At this point, 
They were doing this by what has come to be known as the Blitz. These air raids carried out by Germany and London and other various towns bombed specifically non-military targets like schools and hospitals and apartment complexes starting on the 7th of September, 1940. And in fact, the town of uh, Brighton, which we did in our last haunted, uh, haunted road, to- road trip, was took the brunt of a mm-hmm. lot of these attacks. Yep. And that's the story to a lot of the hauntings in Brighton. Yeah, that's where a lot of the hauntings from Brighton come from. Yeah. Yeah. According to the letters sent out by Dion Fortune, which can be found in the book The Magical Battle of Britain, she instructed her adepts to gather each Sunday at 12.15 for meditation. They would make a specific pose for a closed circuit of energy. This pose was sitting with the feet together and the hands clasped facing the sanctuary in London. Rhythmic breathing would begin the meditation, which means in-breath, pause, out-breath, pause. It's also known as pramayana, um, other things and other traditions. Then they would begin concentrating on the subject of that week's meditation. They were instructed to form this into a symbol to keep in their mind's eye as thoughts were allowed to drop away. Yeah, and another interesting note about this is I guess she would send out these letters with the instruction not to open them until like an hour before you were supposed to like conduct this meditation. So it was kind of like this, even, you know, with their technology back then, like, I mean, now we could just coordinate it pretty easily, right? But I don't know, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but any, the, so the use of like symbology is a huge part of occultism and religion and lots of other stuff, you know, as everybody already probably knows. Um, everybody's heard the phrase like a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never heard um, that phrase. Never. <laughs> what, what, is, what was that phrase again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. But so symbols are thought to convey information on like a more subconscious level since we don't need to use words to kind of get the message. Uh, the idea of meditating on a symbol is pretty old. I'm, I'm sure like it's something that is still used a lot today. Uh, in fact, like holding a simple like geomet- geometric shape in your mind while meditating is one of like the, you know, good first steps that you can do to building up like your mind's power to do visualization. Um, you know, not to mention all the other benefits of meditation, which are many. Um, so I think this is actually something that Peter J. Carroll talks about in his book on chaos magic, Lieber Null. So check that out if you're interested. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Psychologists espouse that the symbols we see in dream images and archetypes are our subconscious communicating with us. Um, most of performing magic is working subconsciously and consciously with symbols which are better understood by the subconscious than the words and actions uh, in order to make change happen on the astral plane, and thus it lowers down and makes changes happen on the physical plane. Oh, yeah, and with symbols, that's one thing that... um, I'm going to go back to medium stuff again, but um, all of my spirit guides and all of my close family that has passed they each have a symbol and when they come in they show me that symbol so that i know who it is no like a like could you elaborate a little bit like what kind of is it like a picture or like is it like a thing or it's it's usually a thing i've usually let them pick their symbols like for my dad it's a bald eagle 
Um, for my aunt, it's a peace lily. And like, there's just different, different symbols that different people and different, um, spirit guides have that it's just something that I can connect with that particular spirit versus, you know, any other astral hobo or, (laughs) you know, Joe Bob that comes in. Interesting. Like, yeah, that reminds me too of like, if you like do a lot of stuff with like a divination system, like sometimes like you'll start to associate certain people with like, you know, like cards or like. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, symbols are very useful in magic and any kind of spiritual or occult work, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much everything. I'm kind of curious. So, like, does it, for you, does it work in the opposite way, too? Like, can you focus on one of those symbols for, like, the whatever entity you're you know, regularly in contact with and contact them that way? Or do they have to come to you? That's, I mean, I could probably do it that way. Uh, Usually I don't have to. I can usually just, you know, kind of send out a call for them. Uh, Okay. But, I mean, I could do that. Normally that's just for me to recognize who it is. I mean, a lot of times spirits, they just kind of have the same vibrations, especially when you're talking... um, like deceased loved ones, deceased people, they tend to have very similar vibrations uh, versus like a spirit guide or an angelic type entity. They have a higher vibration and you can feel the difference in that vibrations on, on things like that. But when it's individual people, sometimes it's harder for me to tell who it is without, you know, going through a list of questions and it's just faster for me to be like, all right, just show me who you are. And then I get the image and go from there. Got it, got it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What is, like, sending out a call entail? Like, what's that like? Kind of like meditating on that person for a little bit. Like, okay. Like, say I wanted to, you know, ask my dad some advice or, you know, I'm, um, like, I did a reading for my cousin, um, for my aunt, and it was me just sitting there for a little bit, you know, sending kind of sending out an energy towards her to come, you know, to use and to come to me, um, repeating the questions my cousin had, uh, over and over again. Um, <coughs> you know, just that kind of information, just, just kind of sending out the energies to kind of call them. So okay. Like, well, yeah. After you do that, like, is there like a certain like mental state that you like enter? Like maybe like a state of like receptivity or something like that? Like, there is, and I didn't even realize that Dave was the one who pointed it out to me. I kind of zone out. Um, I usually rub my hands together, like in a, just like a constant rotating motion. Um, I don't even realize I do it uh, until, like, the communication's over, and then I'm like, man, my hands are hot. <laughs> and it's because <laughs> I've been rubbing them together the whole time. Uh, and a lot of times I can't really recall what's said. Um it's kind of a meditative state that I get into. Um, Interesting. While doing sure, it. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's just a different zone that I'm in. Um, sometimes it's harder to get into the zone, especially Yeah, if, I was going to ask, like, if there's, like, a certain technique that you use to, like, enter that kind of mind state. I usually have to prep myself for about 24 hours. <laughs> As it's, okay. It's one of those things that... It takes it, it takes a long time to get in because I haven't done it in a while. In fact, I was telling Dave the other day I feel like I need to do it because it's been a while. But uh, it's just kind of clearing my mind of 
everyday stuff. And especially if I'm working with people that I know, which is my least favorite thing to do because it's really hard to not put in my two cents. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I often doubt myself when I do people I know because of the fact that I know so much about them. I feel like I'm influencing it in some way. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. So it's a lot of just clearing my brain and prepping myself to accept what's coming in versus putting in my own my own conscious thoughts into it. So a lot of meditation involved, usually, and getting myself there. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, thanks for elaborating. Yeah. Yeah, no, I always love to hear, like, you know, the specifics about, like, what people are up to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I love to hear people's techniques. Um, it, <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's kind of a thing I do too, where I, where I meditate on certain colors or certain energies and stuff. Like, if I'm going to be doing something like, uh, scry, scry in the Alvin Gate of Air, you know, I'll meditate on, on the colors of air and the symbols of air and things like that to get my body kind of in tune to it, to mm-hmm. fill those receptive powers from it. Yeah. Uh, which describes a lot of what you're talking about, just kind of from a different approach, really. I mean, the way I view it is it's like, I'm an antenna on yeah. like a radio, st- like on a, an old ham radio. And I've got to sit there and I've got to, first of all, be able to receive the signal. So I have to have my mind clear to mm-hmm. do that and then i have to be able to tune in and there's definitely like i said earlier there's definitely different vibrations that different spirits pull pull out now it's much easier to communicate with the higher spirits those are much easier to communicate um your spirit guides your angelics your loved ones who've been gone for a while mm-hmm. those are those are easier to communicate than like recently deceased um and some of the lower level elementals and things like that. There are sometimes I'll do like a session or a reading just, you know, even just for myself and I'll finish and I'll be exhausted. And then there's other times I do it and I'm buzzing with energy. And it's like, I think it's the difference in the, the level and the frequency of the spirit. Like the lower ones are more feeding off of my energy. And those are the ones where I'm exhausted afterwards. Whereas the higher ones we're feeding each other energy and it, yeah, it's much. Those are much easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess right kind of, kind of to bring hermeticism into that, kind of I just kind of like the higher the plane is, yeah. the more energy it brings down. Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. The next step to the meditation consisted of mentally dedicating themselves to the source of all. She wrote. Let the good that you are about to invoke come through for all relying on the cosmic law to adapt it to their needs or for their healing. Next, they were instructed to think of themselves as part of a group of souls connected to their region or culture. Then, they were to open their mind as a channel for the masters of wisdom. Then, they would be ready to meditate on the weekly subject. Now, depending on what was happening in the war on a psychical, uh, psychological, physical, or spiritual level, the subject of this meditation would change from week to week. Uh, the final step was to announce, It is done. While visualizing black velvet curtains drawing across the scene, meeting in the middle, closing out what they envisioned during the meditation. Then they were to stand up, stamp their feet, 
and ground their energy, connect with their consciousness. Fortune taught the importance of this closing was to ensure the adepts would not become overly sensitive. It's so weird because I use some of those techniques that I never knew anything <laughs> about this woman and, or this whole thing. And I use some of those techniques techniques that I've just kind of learned on my own. Yeah. That's kind of yeah, cool. A lot of it's like, yeah, it's, a lot of it's pretty like intuitive, I feel like. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Now, to give a few ideas over the specific subjects of the meditations. Let us meditate upon the angelic presences, red-robed and armed, patrolling the length and breadth of our land. Visualize a map of Great Britain and picture these great presences moving as vast shadowy forms along the coast and backwards and forwards from the north to the south and east to the west. Keep watching and wards so nothing alien can move unobscured. Fortune, as we will see as we dig deeper, believed. The war has to be fought and won on the psychical plane before it can be won on the physical plane. Yeah, so there's this like idea of like as above, so below. Good movie. Which is a very yeah, a very popular saying, right? Um, so this is the idea that there are these like repeating patterns across scales. Uh, okay, so one example of this from Christianity might be the idea that like humans are created in the image of God. So there's countless other versions of this though across many different religious and occult traditions. Another place to look for these examples, uh, like, is in the area of science, actually. Like, think about how, like, I don't know, maybe molecules look like little solar systems, or maybe it's the other way around. Solar systems look like molecules, but they're big. I don't know. Um, and I'm also not saying that these things are the same or that we even use, like, the same set of rules to study them. But there is, like, these patterns that you can see. Uh, patterns that repeat across scales are like a big part of the study of like complex systems like you know ecology or a lot of other things economics you know sometimes called like complex nonlinear dynamic systems or chaos theory uh you know in the last 60 years or so it's done a pretty good job of illustrating that this like as above so below idea really does play out in the world in pretty much like every place you look so it's kind of like a fun example of an esoteric idea being like really borne out by science. That's pretty uh, interesting. And then this that this idea that like the more the the war like must first be won in the spiritual plane is kind of interesting, right? Like I mean we've talked about this all evening it seems like, but many people think that things begin as spirit or energy or just an idea, right? Information maybe before they they can come into being. Uh, this is the like big idea in the, the Kabbalah or Kabbalah or however you want to say it. Um, it makes sense that Fortune would be taking this position, right? Like, I mean, to me, it even seems similar to the idea of, you know, if you defeat your opponent mentally, then you can win the war, the battle physically. Yeah, and it's oh, kind of yeah. the yeah. same Definitely. way if you do it in, uh, you know, a, uh, that's from Art of War, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just always been a tactic when, for me, as someone who coached football and stuff, it's always your best chance of win is to beat someone mentally and then let the physical play out. Because if they already beat in their mind, they're just going to, they're not going to fight as hard. So, like, step so, one, say yeah, something I mean, about I mean, their well mama. In the art of war, it says if you have to fight, you've already lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's yeah. kind of the same <laughs> idea. Do it spiritually, <laughs> and then you've won the war physically. Yeah. So. I always I always lose focus when I'm, I'm pissed off. So, 
That's that's, ex- uh, that's where you're losing. You yeah. lose on the spiritual plane first. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> that, that, that feeds 100% like gratitude to what you just said, man. That's yeah. why I don't like to argue with people because usually I get so built up in my head that I, I fail. <laughs> and you're so good at calming people down, though, I swear. You really are. I have a natural relaxation about me. No, I don't know. I don't know, man. All I have to do is wink at people, and they're like, okay, this guy gets it. So. <laughs> well, no, they just get confused on whether you're blinking or winking. Oh, uh, believe me, I'm turning my head sideways and going, like that. <laughs> oh, they're going to say you're doing the finger gunning. <laughs> ah, see, I just started doing that. Right there, boom. <laughs> like, yep, that's definitely a wink. Wink, yep. wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the Kabbalah makes up the spiritual side of the Golden Dawn system of magic which in our modern age, many occultists who aren't followers of Christianity or Judaism have shied away from, and the Golden Dawn for that matter. But I have good news for them. Yay! There is a Golden Dawn system which uses Celtic deities and symbols called the Celtic Golden Dawn. This was reverse-engineered by John Michael Greer, the former archdruid of the ancient order of druids in America. He is also in the process of developing a system for heathens with several heathen practitioners using the Norse and Germanic spiritual tradition. Uh, On a side note, last I knew, JMG was in the process of translating a manuscript concerning the Norse rooms from Latin for the very first time ever. Awesome. That'd be really cool to see. Yeah, that's a really (laughs) cool idea. I really like that. In the third week of October of 1940, Fortune asked her followers outside of London to invoke the inner planes to protect herself and members located at the London Sanctuary. The magic was only partially successful. On the 27th of October, those same followers received the following message from Fortune. We ask our members and friends to invoke protection of three Queensborough Terrace In this letter, we have the ironical task of informing them that we have been bombed out of it, though without casualties, so that it may be maintained that the invocation was was at least partial success. Though your leader and her librarian look like a couple of sweeps owing to the difference of opinion with the roof, which fell in on them, but tactfully refrained from hitting them. This sounds to me like the protection worked. But maybe we could use this as a lesson on the importance of structuring intent. Was the intent for the protection of the members of the sanctuary or for the members of the sanctuary and the building also? It kind of reminds me of like a genie. Like, make sure you form the wish properly. Mm-hmm. You know? Sure, it's like Wish Master. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're haunted by it. We can't get away from it. Uh-uh. No. Follows us everywhere. That was one of the first horror movies I actually understood was Wishmaster. Yeah. No, it's mucho scary. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty and much, I kind of think of it like you ask specifically what you want, or you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> That saying is used so much in our house. <laughs> it's a very important saying. I want food. What kind of food? I don't care. But I don't want that. You, you didn't say what you wanted. You get that now. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You said you didn't care. 
I'm going to start using that in all my relationships now. <laughs> Good way to end a relationship yeah. quick. Well, they yeah. end quick anyway, so. I was going to say, what relationship? <laughs> okay. I don't know how many times. I was like, where do you want to go eat? I don't care. Okay, how about here? No. How about here? No. Okay, bitch, we're going to McDonald's. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, okay. I don't play this game. Relationship rule number one. Don't Never use the call word. her a bitch. I know. <laughs> At least to her face. That's like good advice. <laughs> yeah, just like, to be honest, I have never used that word in a relationship. So. <laughs> That's or, a good or, way to get smacked. Or create a word that means bitch, but is also sweet. You know? Like, come on, Pookie. You know? Pookie's your word for bitch, but she'll never know that. I don't care for that either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm real Southern, so I, I have some weird-ass pickup lines, man. I'll tell you what. Something about a flower and you being the prettiest one in there. Duh, sugar. Oh, I can't stand that name, the name Sugar. Oh. <laughs> I call it Sugar Cupcake. a lot. I hate it. <laughs> you guys all know. I can't, I can't do pet names. <clears throat> Biggest one I got is deer. That's it. Go ahead. So Fortune relocated to 21 Creensboro Terrace and just returned to her work, intending to repair the bombed-out sanctuary. Well, that's nice. It's down the street was still available. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it was cheap, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not going to bomb the same place twice, right? So moving in next Point. door is, you know, probably the best place to be. Fortune and her fraternity of the inner light worked diligently until the autumn of 1942 through a pair of images discovered together. The first was very abstract and evolved slightly over time. The second is a little less abstract. Uh, Let's start with the second one because it's a place and might be faster to explain. It is called the Watchtower. This place is also in the Inner Plains. The Watchtower rises above the cavern I spoke of earlier, and it is accessed by first projecting the consciousness to the cavern and then climbing up into the watchtower. Yeah, it's kind of cool. This reminds me of a project that Hector and I have been working on. It is an astral temple, like kind of like the idea of the watchtower, but with like a less specific purpose. Uh, We're making a guided meditation for people in case they want to like come check it out and visit. Totally, that'd be awesome. It's pretty nifty. So uh, yeah, we'll let everyone know when it's all up and running. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an ear out for that. Well, what's interesting about that is when we were doing our meditations episode, I talked about my meditation place that I go. Mm-hmm. And it's very structured, like their watchtower. Like everything is, it's definitely a place that I visit on a, almost time, every time I meditate. That's where I start my meditations is in this, this one area. And it's... Yeah, a lot of people would say that that is your astral temple. Yeah. So my astral temple is a farmhouse with a pond and rolling hills. Apparently, I am truly fun. Oklahoman. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Oh yeah, I mean it's there's the pond and it's surrounded by trees and like reeds and all kinds of stuff. And then on top of the hills, a farmhouse and. Usually I'm at the pond and I'm skipping rocks or fishing or... Old Mick like, Amy had I know, a right? farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old Mick Amy had a farm. I need to add goats. I want goats in real life, so <laughs> if I add goats to my, my astral <laughs> temple... <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. 
In the Watchtower, the adepts would gather to keep watch on the psychic energies that were underlying and driving underneath the physical and psychological tides of war. They used this watchtower primarily to observe the spiritual progress of the war. Now this first image, we will devote quite a bit of time into. This one was a three-colored triangle with linking spheres, consisting of the red ray of Mars, the blue ray of Jupiter, and the purple ray of Venus. The red ray is associated with the sword, and it is identified with King Arthur appearing in one of the spheres. The blue ray is associated with the scepter, and it is identified with Merlin appearing in one of the spheres. The purple ray is associated with the cup and is identified with Master Jesus appearing in one of the spheres. Later on, this evolving image becomes Mary, and the image of the triangle evolves to a pyramid. The shining light of Master Jesus is then placed above the pyramid. Fortune thought of Jesus as an ascended master. It was part of her philosophy from a very young age. Now, let's dig in a little deeper. Fortune explained that the Arthurian legendary connections that arise from this tradition belong inside the greater Rosicrucian tradition. Now, the Rosicrucians didn't show up until long after the days of King Arthur. But according to Fortune, this is just a word she uses for the Neoplatonic and Alchemical schools of thought, also known as General Western Occultism. She compared that Arthur's quest for the Holy Grail is the same as the alchemical quest for the elixir of life. She explained that this quest is part of the Neoplatonic idea that the material world is a lesser version of the spiritual world, because the material world derived from it. Fortune espouses that the Athorian legends derive from Celtic sources, and then they were adopted later by the Christians who added themes more in line with their beliefs. Originally, the legends focused on the healing of the wounded king and are found within the Queen Venus cult, also known as the Cult of Women. Fortune associates these with an ancient witch cult, Fun fact, her book Mystical Kabbalah supported the theory of Margaret Murray and is another source where Gerald Gardner got the information for the ancient connections of Wicca. Now this breakdown is all mostly to say that Fortune preferred the Arthurian legends that predate Christianity, although she could also be thought of as a Christian occultist. And the Arthurian legends is where we will need to dig to really get into the symbolism for these magical workings. The Wounded King is also known as the Fisher King. This king was afflicted with a wound in either his leg or his groin, depending on the source. The Knight Percival came in contact with the Holy Grail, which would have provided healing to the Fisher King. After being invited to the castle of the Fisher King, Percival witnessed a weird procession, led by a squire carrying a lance dripping with blood, followed by a beautiful young girl, bearing a jeweled cup or dish called a grail. After her came candle bearers and a group of courtiers clad in mourning clothes. Too polite to inquire what he had seen, Percival went to bed and rose the next morning to find the castle deserted. He continued his travels, but along the way he met a young woman who rebuked him for not asking about the procession he had seen at the castle. 
this encounter through Percival into an agony of doubt and longing, and he began the long quest to find the castle again and discover the secret of the grail. Now here's a fun fact. Other medieval French authors took up Schreiten de Troyes grail story and embellished on it so that it became tangled up with Joseph of Arimathea. The bleeding lance that once belonged to Longinus, the Roman soldier present at the crucifixion. And the grail, the cup used by Joseph to collect Christ's blood. According to one branch of the legend, the grail was identified as the same cup used by Christ at the Last Supper. But, but the bottom line is, Percival failed to ask about the grail. Thus, he failed to discover its true identity, and then he spent his remaining days searching for that grail. The occultic meaning hidden in this tale is where the symbolism and aphorism comes in. Dr. and Professor Rob C. Thompson offers this interpretation that the story means, We must realize or discover our own inner healer, our own inner Christ, in order to help others. But this is something that we must take action towards, as we cannot wait to have this awakened within us. The grail symbolizes our path to the truth, and it tells us to find our own inner truth, to find our own inner grail, to find our integrity. So it's kind of like a symbol of the great work. Absolutely. And then along those lines with that empowerment, learning how to think and act and do for yourself rather than the will of somebody else. Yeah, and also, like, the alchemical <laughs> idea of, like, you know, self-mastery and, like, balancing out all the different aspects of oneself and everything like that, too. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Grail was a very important focus for Fortune to bestow strength and spiritual healing to the British people and to another people I will discuss later. But first, we need to look at the second legend, Lancelot the Knight and the Cart. And the seven brothers and their one sister. <laughs> <laughs> the evil Malayagant visits Arthur's court to boast he had ensnared many from Arthur's land. Through trickery, he convinces Arthur to give him Guinevere, and he sets out back to his homeland with her. Lancelot rides two horses to death trying to find the queen and ends up walking on foot. A dwarf with a cart rides by with information on the queen's whereabouts. The condition is, he will not tell unless Lancelot rides in his cart. Which is a dishonorable form of transport for a knight, reserved mostly for prisoners. Lancelot hesitates for only a moment, not wanting shame brought to him by riding on this cart. Then he jumps on. This causes confusion and shame amongst everyone they encounter. I'll, I'll leave out all the encounters. Uh, there are many of them. It's fun to read, but not so much to paraphrase. But they do cross over Sword Bridge, which is literally a massive sword blade. Lancelot finally arrives at the Queen, only to discover Guinevere is angry with him, but will not say why. He leaves and does a bunch more night stuff, and then he returns to Guinevere. She confesses her coldness resulted from the momentary hesitation he showed at riding in the dwarf's cart. He seeks penance from her, and they share a passionate night together. 
Someone made someone tea, right? <laughs> but a wound on his hand that happened from breaking into a prison leaves blood behind on the bed. And Guinevere is, conf- is accused by Malayagin of adultery. Well, technically... Lancelot, Lancelot, Lancelot. <laughs> Lancelot challenges Malayagin to defend Guinevere's honor. The king and father of Malayagin intervenes, and the competitors agree to fight in a year's time in the court of King Arthur. Guinevere goes back home, and Lancelot is imprisoned. Not by Malayagin, but by another dwarf. When he finally gets to the duel, Guinevere tells him to purposely lose in order to prove his love to her. Then she changes her mind halfway through the duel and instructs him to win. There's a whole lot more to it after this. Malayagin wants a rematch uh, the following year and imprisons Lancelot until then, but well, we have enough information to get to the occultic meaning of it, and plus... I wouldn't want to spoil the ending. <laughs> also, I mean, sounds like a little bit of a toxic relationship. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, going to say. Full of that. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time you're talking about, I'm thinking of the whole night, uh, Knight's Tale. Yeah. Um, where he yeah. his character's told to lose, and then, well, no, you, you must win. <laughs> really? <laughs> Make up a damn mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Fortune tells us Lancelot the Knight in the Cart conveys Lancelot subjugating the Code of Chivalry when he hesitated to jump on the cart. When he seeks penance for this transgression from Guinevere, only she can redeem him. Additionally, only Lancelot is worthy of Guinevere because he has no other mission than to love Guinevere. The story privileges the feminine in the extreme and makes Guinevere the true hero of the tale. By taking into account the focus of the grail and the focus of the feminine, for Fortune, Christ power is grail power, and grail power is female. Girl power! (laughs) Okay, I mean, yeah. That's hot. (laughs) It seems like there's some, like broadly leaps in logic here but that's okay you know like she's got to work with what she's got i guess i don't know (laughs) go girl hey crawley jumped a lot in his logic too (laughs) he just jumped there were a lot of pants dropping (laughs) therefore what fortune believed what britain needed was a strong dose of grail power or woman power to offset the brutal, masculine, warlike energy that was raging all across Europe. Additionally, it needed Christ power, something that was being persecuted by the forces of Adolf Hitler, to join along with pagan power. So we got pagan, woman, (laughs) and and Christian power. That's right. All I got in my head is, if you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friend. (laughs) What went through my head was, go, go, pagan power. That's not exactly what was going through my head. <laughs> well, how do, you, how do they morph? It's magic time. <laughs> power <laughs> of Judas. Is it like a giant like dinosaur? I mean, I mean that's what it is. Holy water. <laughs> Fortune did not Just believe... 
<laughs> I'm thinking like this could be a show that I'd watch though. <laughs> Fortune did not believe in using occult power to attack and destroy Germany's leaders. She wrote, Hate is an evil thing on itself. Whatever its provocation, and to call it righteous indignation, does little to improve it. Our work is a work of healing, and no hate must come of it. We look to see a regenerated Germany rise up in strength and in greatness, as well as goodwill and peace. On this great earth of ours, there is room for all if they only cooperate. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we Nine. be friends? <laughs> Nine. Um, I'm over here getting all freaking sentimental and got Hitler on the other line going, what you said to me? Fortune continued. <laughs> to achieve this peace, there must be strength and integrity in the souls of the nations. There must be a willingness to sacrifice individual national interest for the good of the whole. The strong remembering that they are an are in a better position to make sacrifice than the weak. But there must be a readiness to unsheathe and use the sword or sword of justice when it is needed. It was this unwise reluctance to do this that led to the present war. Pacifism is too one-sided to be workable in the imp- in an, in an imperfect world, and it has too often been made use of as a means of escape from hard reality it is not well to pass by on the other side when thieves are beating honest men true wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of weird how i could just you know be laughing hysterically and then actually listen you know so process that's pretty deep <laughs> it's very nice very nice word play well i mean if you've got anger and hate when you're trying to do any kind of magical working, it's not going to work out the way you want it to. So it is a good thing to keep that peaceful state of mind and that loving state of mind, or else it, it can it can screw up the outcome of any magical well, working. Well, get me wrong. Or tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Get me wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. Get me wrong. Get me wrong, baby. Uh, no, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. So the emotion that you're using whenever you're conjuring is pretty much going to be the source of what the outcome is, correct? It can be. The, okay. I think I feel it's best to come with a neutral. Depend, well, it depends on what you want the outcome to be. I mean, yeah, I think uh, Anton LaVey yeah. might argue that if you're trying to do some kind of uh, malicious magic, then you want to come at it with like a that kind of emotion. Yeah. Or if okay. you're trying, he, he said for like healing magic, sadness is actually uh, the best emotion to use because it's like the, you, the genuine feeling for. Like the person you care about, I guess. Yeah. Wow, well, that makes sense I think it too. Because depends on like how. You... Sorry, oh, you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think it all kind of depends on how you like contextualize it too. You know, like I think there's a lot of different nuances that can come into play. So I don't know. It's pretty complicated. Yeah. But yeah. I do a lot more of like white magic type work. So usually mine either needs to be neutral or no less negative. Yeah, less, ne- less sure. negative, negative emotion. So I try to find myself in like a neutral state, but yeah. And I, I think that that's probably where most people probably come from as well. Um, I've just definitely heard a lot of people talk about like harnessing specific emotional states to achieve uh, certain types of work. Oh, so. definitely, yeah, because like emotions bring so much energy. So whatever emotion you're using, 
you're going to generate that energy. So, yeah. And if you like start from a neutral state and then you like, you know, really intentionally like work your way into a specific type of emotion, you know, like I think that's the best way to kind of really harness it productively. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That makes sense too. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so to call back to Dion Fortune's philosophy, all nations or races have a group mind and a group soul. The group soul can be thought of as the equivalent to a subconscious, feeding the conscious group mind. Fortune believed the German people were suffering from an accumulation of evil thought forms in their quote-unquote group mind. And these thought forms are now leading the Germans in the form of Adolf Hitler. These thought forms began all the way back at the dawn of German history. Her theory was if Adolf Hitler was able to tap into these malevolent thought forms, then Winston Churchill could do the same for benevolent purposes, not only for Britain, but for all of Europe and even the entire world. Uh, that's kind of problematic. I feel like there's a li- maybe like a little bit of racism in... Uh in that maybe a little bit yeah 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 Yeah, i mean uh, yeah that's the other thing too it's like you gotta take all this stuff uh, into the context of the time too and like i don't know yeah well and we were talking about this earlier just us before we started doing this you know Evil is good and evil are relative. So, even though most of society would view Hitler and the the Nazi Party as evil, they didn't believe that they were evil. They believed that they were righteous. So, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, but even if you look at like Dion Fortune's, like you know, a lot of the things that she thought and wrote. Like nowadays, we would be like, oh, that's not cool either, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's like all these different variations, right? Like, I mean, because there was a lot of stuff that, like, I mean, I personally would disagree with her on, but looking back at the time, it's like, I don't know. And there's also the idea of, like, you know, separating the person from what they made, right? Like, you know, you look at somebody like Crowley, who was like, you know, absolutely cartoonishly like evil and fucked up, right? Like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like same, but then also made this like lasting contribution to like occultism too. So I mean I don't know. There's a lot of interesting contradictions here. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean yeah. even like Hitler and the Nazi Party, they actually contributed a whole lot to the science that we use today. I mean I know. Yeah. Like you look at the space program. There's a lot of different things. That is a very good point. Yeah. So I mean yep. there was good that came out of the bad, but. It was is pretty... there some kind of cosmic balancing act that is always in play? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that that probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, definitely. The the Maybe universe balancing like itself. <laughs> we have to in the world we live in today. We have to have hope for something good. <laughs> well, I mean, for every action, well, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, yeah. evil actions yeah. give. Good reactions? Uh, in, sure. In theory. In it's theory a great theory on paper. <laughs> <laughs> or, 
or bad. I mean, equal and opposite. Yeah. Every good thing you do, an equally bad thing will be done. I mean, I don't know, man. That just explains my well, life. That, that's just... no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's just the story of Chad's life. I guess when the when the tide rolls out, it has to come rolling back in, and it's a different wave every time. Yeah, it's true. Deep. So to continue with Fortune's philosophy, putting any effort in persuading the German people of this on the physical plane would be of no use, since their quote-unquote group mind had been poisoned to the point of insanity by propaganda, manipulation, and group think. But not all Germanic people were thinking this way. In fact, it was... It's, it was a minority. Yeah, it was a relatively small group. And not group. all German citizens were Germanic of, in blood, either. Yeah. So. so, I mean, I understand her thought process in that, but it's also a flawed theory, I feel. It worked. Mm. It, it did work. <laughs> yeah, so. So she had something right. Mark. Who are you to judge? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my judgy pants off now. Please keep them on. <laughs> I am sitting next to you. I mean, this is what it's all about. I mean, we're digging into it and we're looking at it. Yeah. And we're seeing how it reflects from then to today. It reflects a lot of today, Because history moves in, in rolls like tumbleweeds. Yeah. Rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and since this problem was rooted in the group's subconscious, the solution to the problem would be found at a subconscious level using the visualization and pathworking, which was the key to Fortune's technique of meditation. And with the help of the power of the grail, she would heal the German people, and their quote-unquote Groot soul would disperse the evil thought forms poisoning it. Well, I have to say that her intentions seem noble. And... I can I, I really do associate with that and the fact that she wanted to she wanted to heal. She wanted to help the people. I think she was flawed in some of her thought on it. But I mean, even those who were opposed to what was going on still needed emotional and mental and physical healing after the fact. So Yeah, and I I think that, like, it's also important that she, like, drew a distinction between the people and the ideas, right? Yeah. Like, she wasn't like, oh, like, fuck all of the Germans. They all suck. Like, it was like, no, they've fallen prey to these, like, really shitty ideologies, and we need to help them with that or whatever. Like, I think that's way more productive, right? Oh, definitely. And, you know, you think of, like, modern day, and when we first started our war in Iraq, everybody's like, just nuke the whole, at least here. I mean, we're in Oklahoma, so everybody's a little on the right. But they were all just like, just nuke the whole place, you know? They were. Like, and I was a soldier in that war, and I was like, really? Nuke ev everything? <laughs> the, the children and the dogs and the women and everything? Really? Yeah. That's how far the propaganda has got into your head? Yeah. I'm a soldier, and I don't even have that stance. I say, let's go over there and help these people. <laughs> let's go liberate them. <laughs> exactly. And I... I like we installed in the first place? <laughs> Uh, we don't have to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it the the road... What was that you said? The road to hell is paved with intentions or of good? Good intentions, yeah. yeah. with good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely prefer this outlook versus the other. You know, just kill them all. 
No, I mean, yeah, the majority is not the problem. It's the minority, and it's the problem is is the minority tends to be louder. The minorities almost always vote more vocal. Yeah. Yeah, I it, mean, like the people that are in power are the ones that are like making the message, right? Yeah. Usually, so I don't know. They don't always speak for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, if you're not from America and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> our government does not speak <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, j- just because the Cheeto Man is our president doesn't mean we all agree. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just start calling him Chester? <laughs> Chester Puff. <laughs> That'll just be I'm our code name. A firm believer of like never saying his name. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, names have power, and I just try really hard. To I think I'd rather say Voldemort. You <laughs> 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 must not be. <laughs> he, which we do not speak. But but for me, there's a lot being said here. It's it's being said to to think on your own, to follow your integrity, to find your own inner grail, to empower yourself, and not follow the mob. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very important lesson that most most people need to learn. Not just Americans, but most people need to learn. Don't be scared to stand on your own. It's okay to think. Yeah, <laughs> thinking is good. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's easier to go with the flow, but not always the smartest idea. I will say there are times that I just run with mob just because <laughs> it, life's hard. But then you know, I'll pull to the side later on and be like, all right, now it's time to think again. <laughs> Start running with the mob and go, I'm fat. I don't run. I'm going to go the other direction. <laughs> I'm going to sit here and watch y'all. All right, y'all, y'all keep going. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut to the taxi later. It's okay. I'll meet you there. Uh, I'm going back home. But at the same time, I think she did make a lot of generalizations that, like, everybody, the group mind, you know, I mean, that's very problematic. If you look at the aspect of a group mind, too, let's say that not everybody who, I mean, it's like Young's um, theory of the, well, my brain went blank. The collective unconscious. Yes, the collective unconscious. Not everybody who pulls information from the collective unconscious necessarily believes what they pull or, you know, it's just there and you tap into it when you need to. Right. So let's say these people are pulling from the great soul or whatnot. Not everybody is pulling from that same energy at the same time. That's a good point. Okay. I'm trying to think if this makes sense when I'm, the thought in my brain makes sense, but I'm not sure if it's wording out right. <laughs> <laughs> typical problem. It's just a typical problem for us on the podcast. So, in the sense, though, that these people still have access to this point, healing the great soul is a good thing. Because later yeah. on, those people might pull from that great soul or whatnot and... So, so I guess kind of in the sense of what you're saying is that that pool we were talking about to get it kind of into like a symbolism, she is unpoisoning it. Yeah, she's cleansing the waters. Yeah. She's go. putting some chlorine and some... She's <sighs> trying to shock it and get rid of that algae. and mm-hmm. So it'll yeah. quit feeding their consciousness. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Did I word right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Good words. <laughs> words hard. You know when my brain is rolling and the words are trying to form at the same time? Not every time <laughs> does it come out as intended. So Oklahoma education. I understand. We all suffer with that. <laughs> I want to offer a quote from Paul Weston, who wrote about Dion Fortune's work. In the end, when it mattered, in 1940, the Christian and pagan elements came together in harmony and focused on an iconic tour. So according to Paul Weston, she succeeded in bringing in two factions who had been warring for millennia to focus on this work. Hmm. Yeah. So, did it work? It did not work. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a cheating answer there, Amy. (laughs) Are you running for president over here? Just, I'm not going to answer your question. But I'm not going to ignore it either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, Britain didn't get invaded. You know, Britain's. Yeah. I mean. No, and a lot of people are like, why not? Right. I don't know. Hey, they didn't get crushed when the roof fell. Yeah. At three Queensboro. Yeah. So (laughs) obviously it worked a little bit. Yeah. I mean. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit, right? <laughs> now, is it coincidence that it worked? Who knows? Oh, I but think in theory, I mean, as someone who believes in it, I would, I think it kind of, it, in theory, I think it worked. I feel like the big enough group of people puts enough energy directed in the same direction, it's going to have some kind of influence. Yeah. Whether yeah. it was solely that that did it, I know it was not solely them that protected Britain. I mean, there were many soldiers, American and British soldiers, that helped Britain not fall. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you can't give them all the credit, but you can give them some credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact they were willing to do something to try and help is is really all that matters. Yeah. At least in my opinion. I mean, it's like when somebody says, my church is praying for you. You know what? I'll take it. Please, I'll take it. You know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, from a like strategical standpoint, like morale is super important. So I think there's a place for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling like maybe we need to try this just in America today. I think to an extent we kind of are. (laughs) Just I'm trying not to go political. We need we need to cleanse our group soul. Yeah, and then maybe things will calm down. I do that every morning when I wake up. No, that's not the same thing okay, you like. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's your personal gut. We, that's not what we're talking about. Americans seem to, in the majority, suffer from a very dualistic worldview. Yes, I agree. We're great and everyone else sucks. Is that the worldview? That's one of them. America, fuck yeah. Yeah, I think in general, like we have this kind of, a lot of like our traditions come out of you know, a lot of like Roman thought and stuff, which was very black and white, or like yes, superior and superiority. We're good, we're better. <laughs> well, like Dave was, Dave and I were talking the other day. It's us and them, and that's just, of that's just it. All of us, yeah. Instead of all of us, it's us and them. And well, yeah, if you want to go into something that like, just kind is, of that? more like in today's world, that it's kind of shown us that it's not just us. 
is try not to go too political, but going to the Black Lives Matter movement in the protest of police brutality. We, there wasn't riots and protests just in America. It happened all over the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, that should prove to us that it's not just us. It happens to them too. You know, they're they're pushing. They're trying to fight for us and for them as well. And it shouldn't just be us versus them. It should be all of us together. And I don't know. To me, that's just kind of a recent thing that's actually happened in our real world that should show us that it's not just us. Yeah, I'm going to take that and I'm going to take it to this this theory here that she had. What was being done right before all this? the Black Lives Matter stuff. It was that, what, together apart thing and putting everybody together, even though we're separate, we're all in this together. And it started that mindset of all of us. We're all going through this. Could that have pushed this along and more of a uniting, just uniting everybody? There's even a song about that. Probably. Yeah, uniting everybody against the sources of injustice. Yeah. Well, just the mind. I mean, if everybody gets in the mindset that we're all, I mean, we're all suffering from the pandemic across mm. the world. We're all in this together, and then that being yeah, no, repeated exactly. like, so much that it just kind of created like, it. Yeah, this like common experience that everybody's been having because of the pandemic kind of maybe increased our ability to empathize maybe with each other and that's one of the things that finally fucking made people because i mean obviously this shit's been going on forever oh yeah but like now people are finally ready to fucking do something about it which is awesome so yeah in theory i I wish we could all come together and do this thing because what people need to understand is it's us versus the world the world's gonna win at the end anyway yeah but we should do our best together to last as long as we can. <laughs> the earth has been around a lot longer than we have, and it, it'll win. Gaia but shall if we prevail. Work to- <laughs> if we work together, maybe we can you know, make it sustainable and friendlier. And I forgot what movie it was, but there's a movie where, and it's an older movie, there's a movie where the world literally annihilates the entire... Uh, um, Geostorm, Into the Storm, 2012... 12. Um, not 2012. That was more of earthquake, a earthquake, uh, <laughs> magma. Um, there's a lot of movies where the Earth wins. I think it was Geostorm. Geostorm's one of the newer ones. No, it wasn't Geostorm. No, this is one from like before 2000. Who's in it? I cannot remember. I mean, Tommy Lee's in Volcano. Um, Any Hooser. <laughs> pretty much all those movies have everything in common with this. But basically, it's literally a situation where the world. There's no like you know. Uh, sun interaction with their atmosphere that causes certain drops and whatnot. It's literally our world completely annihilates the human race that's that's living. On you think it. of that M Night Shyamalan movie? E- Wait, shit, that sounds super. So the trees start releasing something, or something like, <laughs> like the or some they, they go kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it's the happening so guys. Many of those movies. <laughs> we digress. We, we, we digress. <laughs> or they digress. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> um, the collective soul. Oh yeah. yes. We are all one. Well, I think there's a lot to As that. Above, so below. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. I mean, we're all we're all connected to each other in everything in some way or another. Yeah. 
Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? I don't know the That's rest of the words. Doesn't it go on like that forever? <laughs> I think it's the only words, right? For a few minutes, yeah. at least I think. <laughs> I think it just fades to black. <laughs> Why can't we be friends? Dion Fortune said, those who are with us in those days will remember how we opened our doors and welcomed all who sit in meditation with us and taught them the esoteric method of mind working that had never been revealed before outside the veil of mysteries and that this work was done with a view to bringing into manifestation those very ideas that are now manifesting. What part we played in their manifesting we cannot know, but we know that whereas then the fraternity was a voice in the wilderness, the cry has now become our chorus. So she's basically saying what I said. She, they, they, they probably played a part in it. But they're not taking all the credit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting tale. I'm glad you yeah, brought no, that super, to us. Yeah, super interesting, you know, influential person, obviously. Uh, cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. She definitely wasn't as eccentric as uh, Crawley, but... No. Or Blavatsky. <laughs> yeah, was anybody as true. eccentric as Crowley? Yeah, that's, probably, that's true. <laughs> and if they were... That's a very, very high bar. I say, and if they were, they probably were a serial killer. Well, I guess on the other way, it might be actually yeah. be a really, really, really yeah, low bar. Leader, but yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of bar that we don't want to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's a perfect example of why you should just stay away from cults. Him and many drugs others. are bad. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> cults are bad. Okay, <laughs> okay, Mister Mackey. <laughs> He's also a good reason why you should think for yourself too. Cults in general are a good reason to think for yourself. Yeah. You get that, Mother Vitty? Lots, lots of good reasons to think for yeah. yourself. Lots of them. All of them, in fact. <laughs> This was super fun. Thank you all so much for having us. This was awesome. Yeah, and thank you for joining yeah. us. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's been a pleasure talking with you guys and and listening to your thoughts on all this. And it's also really cool to have someone with that chaos magic um, experience and belief system to kind of go along with us on this journey. Chaos magic is definitely something I don't have a whole lot of experience I, with or I knowledge have on. Absolutely zero. I'm interested in it, but I have absolutely zero mm -hmm. and. I don't, I'm not doing magic by myself, so. <laughs> I know a great place you can start. The thing that's, like, really cool about chaos magic is that it's really adaptable to, like, your own personal preferences and, like, what works for you. So I think it's something that, like, if you're really into, like, you know, doing things your own way, it's something that, you know, might be worth investigating. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that, that's definitely my whole life. Focus around your own <laughs> style, yeah. 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 <laughs> I often say I practice the religion of Amy and I just make it up as I go. Yeah. You might already be doing it. <laughs> I say knowing all of us at this table, we probably have been practicing chaos magic without knowing it yeah. for most of our lives. So. <laughs> and I think a, a, good, a lot of people are. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I just figure I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> That's why I get the, the things that happen that they I don't do. Know. But well, I don't know if that's a thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. So. It's just got to adjust the will. Yeah. 
Yeah. Don't do what <laughs> I did. Too man. many negative thoughts in my head all the time <laughs> that just cause negative things. There's medication to, be to positive. prevent those. <laughs> yeah. I don't like medications. <laughs> but <laughs> I just got to be more positive. Maybe positive, you know, positive now magic I, will happen. I definitely want to recommend the podcast Fool's Guide to the Occult if you're looking for more information into magic. The amount of instruction they give is paramount to any other podcast I've ever heard of it. Everybody tries to be so so cryptic and, and like they have all these secret answers that to the universe and life and everything. But but the approach of Hector and Luxa and, and some of the other people that have joined on earlier that I don't necessarily remember the names of offer it in a very straightforward non fluffy way i guess is what i'm trying to say so they give you the fist oh. and not a pet yeah okay all right <laughs> Hi, sure. yeah i actually listened to one of your other podcasts i can't remember what it was when one of the topics we were covering i think they had done an episode and i had listened to it didn't even realize it was going to be the same podcast that we we're interviewing today synchronicity <laughs> You guys want to plug it? Do you have an email or email a website or Instagram or any of that stuff? You guys want to plug for people, our listeners to find you? Yeah, sure. So um, you could email us at foolsguide to the number two the occult at gmail.com. Um, we are on Instagram at foolsguide. Um, we are on the book of faces. Uh, we have a community page off our main Facebook page called Fellow Travelers, where we have just a bunch of like-minded people uh, hanging out, sharing ideas, talking about stuff. Um, yeah, and obviously, please listen to our podcast. Yeah, and I do want to mention, I don't know if this came up before, but we do have an episode that we recorded, which is an interview with Dave, where he talks about his own like kind of specific like personal druidic path, which is super interesting. So definitely come and check that out. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. It has been a blast. We have thank you all so much. We have learned much. Um, for our listeners, Fool's Guide to the Occult, go check them out. They are awesome. Also, check out our website, umpnormalcy.com. I'll set a link to them on the description and on our website. And check out our merchandise. I've updated the books page and I've updated our links page. So that should be all up to date. Um, but until next time, keep digging. Don't struggle when you snuggle. <laughs>